Having Sage approved audio for our car rides is a literal lifesaver for my nervous system. And I love making lists of podcasts to share with him when he's ready. I was so excited to hear about a new show called Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as MATH, M-A-T-H, geared toward the six plus crowd. Every episode follows two best friends, Max and Molly, who work together to solve riddles and math equations during their time traveling adventures. Episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, the perfect length for car rides and mealtimes and stacked with so much laughter that your kiddos won't even realize how much they're learning. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. You're listening to Voices of Your Village, and today I got to hang out with Ed Center to chat about sharing our cultural traditions without passing on trauma. There are so many things from our childhood that we might want to pass on, and so many that we might not, and sometimes these get muddled and mixed, and we might wonder, like, how do we separate some parts of this? What does it look like to parent kids who are experiencing a lot of trauma or who have experienced trauma? We got to chat about so many things in this episode that were so rich. I wish I just had more time with Ed. He's the founder of The Village Well Parenting, and it's a community where parents come to learn skills that nurture the parent-child relationship, heal intergenerational wounds, and discover ancestral wisdom that allows parents to remain rooted in their own sacred cultures. Ed is doing such incredible work in this world, and it's a true gift to get to learn from him. I'm really jazzed to get to share this episode with you. All right, folks, let's dive in. Hey there, I'm Alyssa Blass Campbell. I'm a mom with a master's degree in early childhood education and co-creator of the Collaborative Emotion Processing Method. I'm here to walk alongside you through the messy, vulnerable parts of being humans raising other humans with deep thoughts and actionable tips. Let's dive in together. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Voices of Your Village podcast. Today, I get to hang out with Ed Center, a new friend of mine, and the founder of The Village Well Parenting, a community where parents come to learn skills that nurture the parent-child relationship, heal intergenerational wounds, and discover ancestral wisdom that allows parents to remain rooted in their own sacred cultures. I dig that so much. The Village Well is for any parent who desires to share the beauty of their own cultural traditions without passing along its trauma. What a doozy. What a doozy you've taken on here, Ed. Ed that has- work is so hard to do. <laughs> so hard to do. <laughs> it's so hard. How do we just pass on the, as my friend Dr. Lynetta Willis calls them, the legacy blessings and not the mm. legacy burdens? I love that language. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's real hard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is. Thank you for helping guide us in how to do this. <laughs> I don't know if I'm guiding, but I definitely have some thoughts. Yeah, cool. I dig it. I'm excited to dive into those <laughs> thoughts. <laughs> and Ed is the dad of two humans, not as tiny as the rest of our village over here, a 12 and a six-year-old over there. That's right. Yeah, That's rad. Right. Rad, well, I hope to get to learn from you in this parenting space too. I have a two and a half year old and I'm growing. 
uh, another tiny human right now and forever trying to learn. Well, I will say this. There are a lot of um, parallels between toddlers, tweens, and teens because this these are phases in life where kids, if they have good um, if they are grounded in their sense of belonging and connection, they are seeking more significance. Mm-hmm. And that significance comes out in often very painful, <laughs> autocratic ways, <laughs> right? And so while the, um, and, and so they're craving the same thing, of course, how we parent and meet those needs is very different, but there are a lot of similarities. But I digress and jump into soon. no I dig that thank you and I think Mm -hmm. it's so true and they don't ask for it or communicate it in um the ways that we often would desire (laughs) not at (laughs) all we might say um rat so one thing that I'm super intrigued by you said you did foster to adopt with both of your children yeah. So first I want to say something because I know you have lots of education uh, yeah. folks here and I'm an educator. Yeah. So my name is Ed Center. Yes. And that can be very confusing. <laughs> so Edward William Center <laughs> is my actual name. Um, but most people in education the first time confuse me for a building or a sure. department or something like that. So um, here I am with a weird name to have an education. Yes, so funny. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, and my husband, Chris, and I, um, we've been together for uh, 20 years next year. Wow, and incredible. Thank you. And we adopted our first child 12 years ago. Uh, well, he's 12, so we adopted. Actually, we're in a transition between he and them, so I'm making that yeah. transition. So they Great. were adopted uh, when they were six months old. Okay. And uh, through Foster Adopt. And six years after that, we had what I call an unplanned gay pregnancy. I'm and... the most intrigued. <laughs> <laughs> the way that worked is we were kind of mildly considering having a second child. And we decided that we were going to have a girl and it was going to be a girl of color. And so we were thinking about preparing for that. And then we got a call from the city of San Francisco, a social worker saying, hey, we have this Caucasian baby boy. He's six weeks old. And she starts, you know, continuing. I said, hold up, hold up. Uh, Why are you contacting me? We're thinking about having a girl. And she said, oh, I forgot to say he's the biological brother of your older son. You're like, oh, there goes my uh, plan. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so we met him the next day, which was a Wednesday. And then on Thursday, the nurses said, okay, we're going to uh, release him to you on Friday. And I said, okay, everybody, slow down. I need to go out with the boys one more time. I need to go to Babies R Us, <laughs> pick up yeah, some things. We need some stuff. <laughs> right, right. And then on Monday, uh, he moved in with us. So it was really, yeah, I remember having a conversation with my boss at the time saying, so I'm pregnant, like very, very pregnant. Like uh, my water just broke. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 
hundred percent. And unfortunately, I had a very supportive workplace that figured out how to give me um, maternity leave in an instant. I love so that. yeah, it was a it was a great journey. Sweet. So I, okay, I'm so intrigued here specifically around like how this ties in to your work. Because mm-hmm. one thing that I find overwhelming mm-hmm. is the foster care system mm-hmm. and the, you know, for my work in emotional development, the set method has five components. One's adult child interactions, but the other four are about us. And so much of it is like our cultural narratives and our social experiences and how we were raised and all that jazz and how that then plays into who we are and how we show up and what our triggers are and what our trends are. And so when I look at the foster care system, it feels overwhelming to me to be like, oh, shoot, like, how are we going to support these kids who at the baseline are going to experience challenges with attachment? uh, And then through that, like, are going to have multiple different cultural narratives based on like, I don't know, how many foster families have they been in? And what does their journey look like versus a kid who's in one home for their life? And you can be like, yeah, maybe I can't trace back all my things, but like, I know certain things that right. are then harder. So I am so curious to learn about like your work and how it pulls into this. So I can tell our story with that, which is that because we adopted both kids as babies, mm-hmm. we were under the illusion that the... um the damage done and the hardships that they've experienced would be lessened because mm. we got them soon. And so all of these challenges, so so they didn't experience, say, lives of abuse and neglect. Totally. And, right. But now we know um, how early infancy trauma really affects the wiring of the brain. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so just the loss of the birth mother is a huge factor. But then my kids had other complications related sure. to poverty and addiction, et cetera, et cetera. And so they were born in emergency. Right. Yes. Very different from hello, we've been waiting for you. We're so excited that you're here in this kind of calm, welcoming environment. And I can now see how that emergency impacted the wiring of their brains. Yes. Right? This. Yes. yes. Ed, thank yes. you. And yes. um, and so that has been and continues to be the challenge um that. Um, we've taken on in supporting our kiddos. So because I was, because I am an educator, I was also under the illusion that I had all of these skills and tools. Totally. We do that to ourselves as teachers. We're like, we've got this. (laughs) And also like, I've loved other people's children many times. And so this is partially why we chose the adoption path. We, um, and I felt like I have, you know, ADHD, um, like all these other, bring it, bring it. I got it. I got it. I did not have it. (laughs) It turns out I don't have it. (laughs) Right. 
And the main reason I didn't have it is because our own triggers come up with our own children in a way that is more intense, more severe, quicker than it does with other people's children. Right. right? And so I was baffled by my inability to stay calm and grounded and logical with one kid's behavior. When I give me 25 teenagers acting crazy and I got it, I'm thriving. Totally. Yeah. And so that was really confusing to me. I, okay. This is such an important note. We, and when we look at this, like it makes sense, right? The same as a teacher where I could take on somebody else's baby crying other, like kids slap me across the face, right? Like, I'm not like, oh, I can't wait to hang out with you in this moment. But I'm also not like, oh my God, I like am a rage filled. Who am I raising? What is this going to mean for you down the road? Who are you going to be as a 16 year old? Are you going to get kicked out of school? Are you ever going to have friends? Are you going to get a job, right? Like I can spiral so fast with my own kid in a way that with other kids, I didn't. I was like, yeah, it's 18 months old. And sometimes 18 month olds hit because they don't know what else to do, right? Like it's so rational to me when it's somebody else's kid. And then when it's mine, it's that fast forward projection of who are you? Who am I raising? Am I failing? Right? Like those narratives. And then what does this mean about me? And what does this mean about me? Yes. Is the important question. Yes. Right? So let me go into kind of what happened and how I got into parent coaching and parent education and the formation of the village. Well, right. So when we were in the early pandemic, so schools had shut down, we were home, we were trying to figure out what to do. And again, my illusions, right? Mm -hmm. So I'm an educator. I have one kid and I'm of course going to be able to support him in his studies and virtual teaching. What we didn't know is that um, he has ADHD and dysgraphia, which if you haven't heard of this, it's dyslexia for writing. Okay. Right. Okay. Um, Can you give me an example of what that would, how that would show up? Yes. He reads at grade level. He reads really well. He enjoys books. Uh Okay. If you ask him to write a, two sentences, uh, he really struggles to do that. Got it. Okay. Thank you. And so because of that, virtual learning was not going to work, right? Particularly in that early phase where teachers didn't really know what they were doing either. And, but I'm an educator. And so I pushed him and I thought he was being sassy at first and willful. And as he pushed back, I leaned into the cultural scripts that I have around you are pushing my boundaries and testing my authority. And so the strategies that I call upon are about squashing those attempts and showing you who is in control here. Yeah. Let me power over real quick. Yes. Yes. And one of the things that I have come to recognize is that from my family, we have a very absolute definition of respect for adults. Mm -hmm. And what I have realized for myself in my situation is that shows up in a way that I call toxic respect. Yeah, sure. Where we are clinging so much to this ideal of power, authority, of appropriateness. Mm -hmm that we're not actually seeing how is the behavior of this child communicating an unmet need. Correct. Yeah. It's that obedience culture, right? Exactly. Yeah. I grew up in it. I know it well, my friend. I know it well. (laughs) 
Yes. And even though I have worked to raise my kids in a different way at times with success, when stuff hits the fan, Mm -hmm. I go back to the behavior set from wounds that I have. Right. Sure. And so we got into these awful power struggles. And what I didn't recognize is that his mental health was spiraling. Yeah. And I had a wake up call one night when I told him that in order to get more television, he was going to have to brush his teeth. And that started a two hour screaming tantrum. It's 10 at the time. They're 10 at the time. And during which they were throwing things, busted a hole in the wall, Mm. used uh, vocabulary that I didn't know they had to insult me. Sure. And in that moment, I could see that this was no longer just defiance. Yeah. But I couldn't tap into any other strategies. Sure. And so I kept in his face and screaming at him and engaging in this full power struggle. And so I recognized at that point that my parenting was not meeting the moment. And that I was going to need a different set of tools and skills and write a a new framework. And so the good news is that we got tons of mental health support for him. Right. And so that started to really make things better. We found uh, local agencies who are incredible, who people came to our house pre-vaccination to work with him, sometimes at 10 at night when stuff is really going down. Right. And so I, I am so indebted to those folks for helping to save our family. And that also gave me the space to look at my own parenting. And so I went out to find parenting coaches and found a lot of people with good information. Sure. Here's where it got tricky. All right. Everyone who I encountered was a white woman with a psychology degree or social, right? Correct. I think what a lot of people don't understand about folks of color, many folks of color, let's say, right? Sure. And for myself as a brown man with, and also a queer man, is that we've been told our whole lives that the things that we do are wrong. Correct. Right. And that the way we do th- things are not appropriate. And, and who you are is wrong. Correct. Right. Mm-hmm. And I have, as an educator, I've been guilty of that too. Sure. Right. And so when all of these white women were telling me, you need to do this differently, you need to do this differently, you need to have more special time, you need to correct before, connect before you correct, have sure. you tried weighted blankets, right? <laughs> and all of these things. And I was like, yes, I'm tr- I'm doing special time for like two hours at a time, but sure. that's not changing these behaviors, right? Whoa, I'm even feeling my sure. <laughs> right heart. It's heart not heart making this child less defiant. It's not. Yeah. And the the trick was I was going to have to learn how to really get in touch with my own triggers and wounds. But I needed to do that in a way with a guide who wasn't didactic, who wasn't judging my approaches, who could say this behavior is wrong and I know you want to punch him in the mouth. You're not going to punch him in the mouth. Instead, 
we're going to help you respond to the situation rather than react to it. And here's how we're going to help you do that. Right. Because you have every right to be angry. And yes. Right. And so that started my journey. I love it. And I think this is something we were just talking about the C team the other day that I think, especially in the respectful parenting community, people are like, kids aren't defiant. They have a need. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, well, actually both, right? Like the behavior is defiant. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, and it's in an effort to try and meet this need. Sure. But it is both and. And so I think to be able to look at this, I, I have an upcoming workshop here with um, a local dad community. And it's, so it's only mm. open to dads. And I, I love presenting for this community because I get totally different questions than most of my mm-hmm. events where mostly women come out. Yeah. And one of the things that came up the last time I was presenting for this organization was a dad was like, listen, like this sounds, it makes total sense. Like, yeah, I want my kid to have these skills. And if they cry at school and then they get beat up, like then what? Like, then what do you have for me? And it was, this was five years ago. And he asked this question. I was like, this makes total sense. That was his experience in his lens was if Mm -hmm. I cry at school, I'm going to get beat up and I can't be vulnerable there. Right. Like that's not a safe space for me to show up in this way. Right. And it, first of all, like was so good for me and that it, I, as a female, I can cry almost anywhere mm-hmm. safely. Mm-hmm. And that's not true across the board. Yeah. And I then add like as a white woman, gosh, so I can do almost anything that I want to do apart from like maybe be alone with a male who's stronger than me and like feel safe. Right. Right. And especially the range of emotions that you're allowed to express. Oh my gosh. Very, there's a very big Correct. range. Right. I can't be angry. Right. Like there are some mm-hmm. things that I can't be mm-hmm. otherwise I'm a bitch or I'm whatever. And like right. those things, but like, it was just like this moment where I was like, yeah, Alyssa, like, this is so real. And I think when we focus so much on the, like, how do we get this behavior to stop from kids? Mm -hmm. What we miss, and this is what, like, my my favorite piece of data from the research of the SET method. So my colleague and I co-created collaborative motion processing method Mm -hmm. research across the US. It, It was that it wasn't a huge shift in kids' behavior. It was a change in the way the adults experienced the behavior. Yeah. Yeah. And that is my goal. That Mm -hmm. is my goal is that like, when there is this defiant behavior, we can see it and separate it and say like, yes, this behavior is defiant. I want to make it stop because I want this kid to be successful in life. And I learned that's how to be successful in life. And that all makes sense. And now I can see that this kid has a need, right? Like, how do we separate those two things? Because both are true. The behavior is defiant. That's not going to get them very far in life under the lens that we know. That's right. right. They have a need. It's so frustrating to spend the money and effort to buy your kids clothes just to have them grow out of the size within a week or have your kids complain that they itch, pinch, or just aren't comfortable. If you're with me on this, you've got to check out Posh Peanut. Their sensitive skin-friendly clothes are made from viscose from bamboo, stretch with your kid as they grow, and they're also made to last. Posh Peanut makes thoughtfully crafted, super cute clothing for kids and families. 
It is the softest thing, y'all. The design is all done in-house with different patterns and it came in the mail and I was like, oh my gosh, I want to wear this for myself every day. Their Lux women's pajamas and robes were all that I wanted to wear postpartum for nursing and hanging out on the couch with Mila. It helps so much that the fabric is breathable and chemical free, which means they're delicate against Mila's sensitive skin too. And I totally get why Posh Peanut is loved by over 1 million parents. Right now, Posh Peanut is offering our listeners 20% off your first order with promo code VILLAGE. Go to poshpeanut.com village and use promo code VILLAGE for 20% off your first order. That's poshpeanut.com village, promo code VILLAGE. This podcast is sponsored by Active Skin Repair a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. Active Skin Repair uses a molecule called hypochlorous acid, which mimics our natural immune response to cleanse, soothe irritation, reduce inflammation, and support healing. We've been loving Active Skin Repair for all the cuts and scrapes that show up in the active toddler life. Sage loves that there's both the spray version, but also a cream version. He likes to get to choose which one he's going to do. He calls it the magic cream. And it's been so great for taking care of Mila's neck rash now that she's full on teething. Can we get a minute for a teething three and a half month old? What in the world? Active Skin Repair has thousands of five-star reviews and the ingredients so safe and clean, they can be used from the youngest member of the family to the oldest. Keeping it simple with one soothing solution for all your family's skin health needs. Visit www.activeskinrepair.com to learn more about Active Skin Repair and to get 20% off your order, use code VILLAGE. That's www.activeskinrepair.com code village for 20% off your order. And so what in my work I'm trying to do with myself first (laughs) and then with other parents of color is to get to that same place that takes us first through a journey of unpacking. Yes. What are the bits of cultural wisdom that show up in your values that are critical that your kids take on, right? Totally. And so for me, that's uh, cousins as your first best friends, mm-hmm. right? We had big Sunday suppers growing up. I lived in very close proximity to extended family. So every yeah. weekend dinner was a party. Um, so now I'm gay. I've converted that to brunches. Sure. Right? <laughs> um the the evolution right um so what are oh outdoor play as sacred space yeah right um which is hard in a major city Mm -hmm. but we figure it out and so these are our values and the values were often communicated explicitly so we understand them and can explain them to our children yes right Mm -hmm. and then we also have these wounds which were taught to us implicitly. And mm-hmm. so our understanding of them is murky and they mm-hmm. tend to come out when we're triggered. Mm-hmm. Right? 
And so what I have found, and this is not just with people of color, this is with everyone, is that many of us grow and understand some of our wounds and weaknesses. Sure. And then we hit this point in our early adulthood where we realize, you know what, I I have this stuff, but I'm still able to navigate the world kind of okay. Totally. Right? Like I uh, finished high school. I went to college. I have, I'm holding down a steady job. I have friends who like me. Maybe I'm in an intimate relationship. And now I can look at uh, anxious attachment or that I get overwhelmed when I experience these certain things and I can kind of navigate around it. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to put that in a box (laughs) and I'm going to label it anxious attachment, overwhelmed when there's too much work, whatever. And I'm just going to put it on a shelf and I know it's there. Right. And then I'm going to continue to uh, navigate the world. And then you have kids and those kids crawl into that closet and they find that shelf and they take down those boxes and they smash it open. Yep. And then we can see how these things will be passed on if we don't decide to work on them. And then that is the opportunity for healing. And that is work that is deep and hard and continuous. And it's the work that's worth doing in order to stop uh, intergenerational trauma or passing on these wounds to our kids. I will also say, I don't think it's all that it's all looped in like, this one is trauma. This one I have to heal. I think sometimes it's like, well, I I do really want to raise kids who have respect for others, respect for themselves, respect still without the obedience part of respect. Right. And so sometimes I feel like they're intertwined where it's like, I really like this value that's then intertwined with this other value I was given that I don't really want to pass on and the ability to like tease them apart and say, okay, in my definition of respect or what I want to pass on as respect looks like this, you know, looks like respect for our own bodies first and our, maybe our household things or our family or the people around us, et cetera. But redefining what those values are, I think sometimes is a challenge. And I, I think we can get caught up in the, this is, this is important and not being able to then tease out, well, what parts of it feel important that we still hold and want to pass on? Does that make sense? A hundred percent. They're always connected to something that is important or has worked for you in the past and maybe in the present, right? And so I was in a workshop a few weeks ago, and there was a woman who is a parent of two who told me that she was a foster kid yeah and so now she has two kids and first I had to just congratulate like you went through some stuff and now you're here in a parenting workshop yeah right look at you incredible (laughs) right yeah and one thing that showed up for her is what we call fawn response Mm -hmm. oh I got it yeah, which is a new thing for me. I hadn't heard of this before a couple of years ago, but most people have heard of fight flight, right? Mm-hmm. Fawn is when, for example, if you are a rabbit and the coyote, you try to run away from the coyote and you're cornered and the rabbit decides, I'm going to make the coyote love me so mm-hmm. she doesn't eat me, right? Correct. So it's a more common response in humans, yeah? Correct. And 
But this woman in foster care, she talked about the fawn response. And I said right away, I said, are you the oldest? Mm. And she said, yes. And I said, did you feel like you had to keep your younger siblings safe? And she said all the time. And I said, so this response makes sense because you were trying to keep everything okay so that there wasn't violence that would, in whatever form, that would hurt your younger siblings. It's safe. Right? Right? Yeah. And what that has meant is that as an adult, you fear conflict even when it comes from your kids. And so the desire is to make everything okay all the time. And that's not going to serve you all the time anymore. And so that's the space to explore. And it's not a defect. No, in fact, it's very helpful. It It probably, yes, it's how you probably survived. Yes. The fun response actually reminds me of, do you watch The Office? Yes. Okay. Um, There's a Pam Beasley quote in there where she's like something to the effect of like, I hate the idea that someone out there hates me. I even hate thinking that Al-Qaeda hates me. Like, I think if they got (laughs) to know me, they wouldn't hate me. (laughs) It always reminds me of that. So I'm like, yeah, like if you just got, if we just, if you just got to know me, I think we could love each other. Mm -hmm. You would love me. It would be great. Uh, But I think- That show was (laughs) so damn inappropriate and I miss it so much. (laughs) Legit. and but I I think that especially as women we fall into the fond response mm-hmm. as uh, mm-hmm. as a coping mechanism quite a bit and in the same way that I feel like we often um, kind of like societally train uh, boys and men to fall into a fight response. That's one hundred percent right. And so I think for for women like fawning, it's like yeah, this is how I've gotten here. Like I have people pleased mm-hmm. my way to this point, uh, and if I hadn't, I may not have gotten to this point. And I love that like respect for how you got here, and that it's not about uh, the like shame or blame for those parts of us. In fact, I want to turn to them with like gratitude and compassion. And there are still parts of it that yeah. are beautiful, right? I, like without knowing this woman, I'm like, you bring the best food to the potluck, don't you? Correct. And <laughs> you show up with warmth. And I bet the other neighborhood kids love you. I bet your house is the, right. And she's like, how do you know all these things? <laughs> right? I'm like, yeah. I'm not a genius. I just understand how these things show up. And so what's now going to be really hard is to extricate these things that are really beautiful and you should keep doing, but also how do you hold firm boundaries? Yes. That is not something that you have uh, had the chance to focus on yet. Right. And your kids need that from you. So totally. how do we do that? Right. They need to see that conflict is okay. Right. Mm -hmm. And like, how do we, how do we within ourselves learn that conflict is okay? Mm -hmm. One of my most common um, triggered responses is flee. I can run like there's Mm -hmm. no tomorrow. Mm -hmm. I experienced some significant trauma when I was 14 and I studied abroad when I was 15 to Austria for six months. And everyone was like, wow, look at you go. Right. And it's like, oh no, trauma response, like just (laughs) running away. And (laughs) I'm so good at it. But then in parenthood, it can show up sometimes as like, 
I'm here, but I have left. And on the outside to everyone else, it looks like I'm being this calm, present parent and I'm holding space. And on the inside, it's, oh no, I have disconnected from this situation right now because what I really want to do is just like actually leave. And turns out you can't just like leave a two and a half year old by themselves at a grocery store or whatever. So I will just like disconnect in the moment. Yeah. And like emotionally flee, I flee in whatever way I can, but on the outside, it looks to everybody else. It's like the pro-social behavior, right? Like it looks like I am being this like really present kind parent and actually like, no, I can't hold space for your stuff right now. And my nervous system reaction just usually isn't to fight. And I also think it's important, right? Because while you are able to hold that calm space, I bet you are not projecting to your kiddo that I can be comfortable with all your emotions. Absolutely not. We are disconnected. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And he feels that, or like same in partnership. My husband will feel that of like, we are disconnected now, but on the outside to people who don't know what's happening, it just like, it looks more acceptable. Right. Right. And then the other tricky space, as you will find when uh, your kiddo is old enough so that you can actually leave, what is the difference between taking healthy space Mm -hmm. to take care of yourself and formulate a plan with your frontal lobe rather than Mm -hmm. your amygdala and checking out all the time? Correct. And that's tricky. And my husband and I have these conversations all the time. Like, are you just abandoning us for a while? Or is this walk actually helping you? And you're going to be able to come back and re-engage. And why is this walk taking 45 minutes, right? Like (laughs) all of these things. Yes. Yeah, it is so tricky. And then to not, you know, pass that on. We're like, my child also, he's either freeze or flee usually Mm. are his two. And so when I see him fleeing, that part of me that knows what that's like actually wants to go with him and rescue him. Right. I'm like, no, don't mm-hmm. flee. Like, I know what you're doing. You don't have to, right. Like that gets activated mm-hmm. when I see it in him. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's so, it's so tricky to navigate. So I, I guess what I'm curious about here too, is this is all very tricky to navigate when it's biological children and we know their whole <laughs> background and there isn't that attachment right from the beginning separation piece. And so when we're looking at this and we're looking at foster or foster to adopt or adoption, one of the things that I'm so curious about is unpacking the intergenerational trauma for ourselves that we're like, all right, as their parent, what do I want to pass on? What do I not want to pass on, et cetera. And then also looking at like, I don't know what else they came to us with, right? Like, I don't know what they experienced in the womb. I don't know any of that part to know, like, how do I unpack that with them? Yeah, yeah. Um, So I've found that it's actually simpler than I would have thought. That doesn't mean it's easy. I don't want to get those things confused, Yeah, right? But as a parent, my parenting script, both the wisdom and the wounds, like those are mine. Those are mine Mm -hmm. to understand and to hold and also understand that I'm going to pass elements of these on to my kiddos, right? And so can I be conscientious to uh, undo some of the wounds part, right? It's not- it's not all going to happen. Correct. <laughs> right? Dr. Lynetta Willis, who I had just referenced at <laughs> yep. the beginning, the like yeah. 
She, yeah. I think you would dig her. Um, she's a black therapist who does mm-hmm. work in this mm-hmm. intergenerational healing. And she describes it as a relay race where it's like passing a baton and you're going to pass some stuff on. You're going to run your leg. You're going to pass a baton. Hopefully mm-hmm. we're healing some things in our leg, but then we're passing stuff on. Like it's not right. our job to heal at all. Right. Right. And so I'm really intentional, for example, because uh, I was, I grew up feeling responsible for my mother's feelings. Right. And so I'm really conscientious of trying not to pass that on. Right. Mm-hmm. There's other stuff that I don't even know what it is Correct. that I'm definitely passing on. Correct. Right? So like, let's be clear about that. But in general, I will say that is my story, my piece to own. Right. Mm-hmm. And the other part around my kids' story and the the beauty of their uh, cultural scripts and their biological family history, as well as the tough parts, for the most part, we are talking about that with them with our rational brains. Yes. Right. And so we're not in a triggered space when we do that. Yeah. There are still tricky questions, right? Because I will say for both of my kids right now at six and 12, the adoption story we told them when they were very younger was a true age appropriate adoption story right and so big people problems contained a lot of stuff that we didn't go into detail totally uh, in terms of their birth parents right and it is now appropriate particularly for my older one to go into what some of those big people problems are yeah right and particularly his uh we have contact with his birth dad Mm-hmm. Um, who is interested in uh, meeting them. And we're excited about that too. And there are certain things we need to make sure are in place sure. um, before that meeting happens, like coming to this meeting sober and sure. right, right, and all of these things. And we feel optimistic about it, but we also feel like we need to let our older kiddo know more of the story yeah. so they understand what some of those complications mean so that they can better show up uh, to meet their bio dad. And so it, it gets, so, but we're doing all of that um, with thoughtfulness logic we have time on our hands right we don't have to have that conversation at any given time totally um and so it it makes that process it's still a challenge but it's not complex for me yeah yeah that makes sense that when you're having those conversations it's almost like that one's not about me right Mm -hmm. like all these Mm -hmm. other ones it's like this is about me and then Mm -hmm. it's so complex Mm because those parts of us come up and this one you can really do kind of from that outside a little bit more Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that That's, makes sense to right. me. That makes total sense to me. And I think recognizing that there's going to be, uh, we joke in my household of like, I wonder what Sage will be in therapy for, right? Like my two and a half year old, not like, will he be in therapy? But like, I want him to know therapy is an option. And I think it's rad and great. And like, I wonder what he'll bring to the table. And that yeah. like, we are, as we are passing along some of these burdens of our own that we don't even know about or haven't healed yet. And these like legacy blessings parts that then as they move through a different cultural context, like some of them will be applicable and some of them won't, you know, that like Mm. maybe what today feels like this will be a really supportive tool for them to have in 20 years isn't anymore. That's right. 
And I think that ability to cultivate a household where it's safe to just have these conversations is such a key part of healing intergenerational trauma, especially with our kids. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Being back to work after maternity leave has been so good and frankly, so hard. I love what I do and I missed collaborating with my team while I was out and it's been a tough transition. The combination of a packed schedule and still being the milk machine for Mila Bean, it's hard to juggle everything. I feel so grateful for my weekly therapy hour. Sometimes I'm just holding so much and I need a safe space to let it out and get it off my chest. I've noticed that when I don't release it, it comes out anyway, but usually in ways that aren't aligned with how I want to show up in the world. BetterHelp is such a convenient, flexible option for parents who just can't take the travel time to get to an in-person therapy visit. It's entirely online. You can show up in your jammies, always a win in my book, and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you're on your way to feeling heard. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash voices today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash voices. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker. You'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I think having a place where you can have these conversations, where you can talk openly and sometimes with humor about the challenges. And then I also think it's vital to extend it beyond your household, Correct. right? Like I've come to the realization that nuclear families suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's really challenging. <laughs> and something that I've talked about with particularly other, and this is again, not exclusive to families of color, but many of us grew up without a bunch of financial resources. Yeah. And part of that was we grew up in environments connected to extended family. Yes. And so I grew up, you know, uh, walking distance from 20 relatives or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I have achieved a certain amount of definitely education success and then financial success related to that. And now I'm living this nuclear family life. And there's a big cost to that. Huge. Huge. Yeah. So why did these things become intertwined? And, and so for us, that has meant really pulling in chosen family, which Mm -hmm. queers are all about. Thank you. Totally. Right. And so Mm -hmm. we have folks with who are not going to have children, both mm-hmm. uh, gay and straight and other, um, who we've invited in as chosen family, and they have time, totally. love, and financial resources that they want to lean into a relationship with yes. our kiddos with, and we really benefit from that. And as part of that, having adopted folks, right? So uh, adults who were adopted, be able to bring in a different perspective. So I have a friend um, who has told me 
the you're not my real dad shout is coming. You have him call Auntie Jody when that happens. Yep. I will be here and I will deal with that one for you because you shouldn't have to deal with that one on your own. I said, okay, thank you. I, I'll have awesome. you on speed dial, right? But it's so awesome. I, I, there's so much to unpack here. So I grew up in a low income community mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and my parents started having kids at 19 with no college degrees and there's five of us and all that jazz. But I grew up down the road from my grandparents and my aunt was down the road and in a small community. I think one thing that like small towns do so well is community mm-hmm. that I, I don't think that small towns are always great at seeing outside of their own community that like we should support outside of that or, or have any sort of or even if that. you're divergent in any way right like there's... it's interesting though because I found in our community like you could be divergent within mm. that community but if you were outside of that no right like mm. I grew up in a town where it was predominantly like white Christian mm-hmm. you could be queer though like mm-hmm. that there were a number of queer families in the town that I grew up and I have friends that like now then I went to college and like most of my college friends had hetero parents and mm-hmm. growing up I had a number of friends that had queer parents and it was but it was anyway all this to say like I feel like the small town at least in my experience of it was like oh everyone takes care of each other here in this small town they don't necessarily take care of folks outside of their small town like mm. <laughs> but you really can like you need bread you need eggs you need somebody to watch your kids you need to tap into this like there's a fire yes. at somebody's house like everyone comes together you know like right. there you don't need to go fund me for it because the whole town's going to pool whatever social capital yeah exactly right? it's, it's incredible exactly. i also think what you just said is really fascinating and i have in terms of like being different within a community yeah and i think that's at least a chapter in your next book. <laughs> yeah, <right>? cool. <laughs> so there, sure. There's some cool exploration to be had there. Yeah, I think that, but then also what you were bringing in here was like, then we've moved into this like nuclear space, right? So I moved yeah. from that small town to Burlington, Vermont, and we moved to be near my husband's mom and her wife live a mile down the road from us. It's awesome, but he's an only child. And so our like, nuclear family plus then my mother's-in-law that was it that's it here and so we had to really branch out into like we call them family mm-hmm. our friends as family and they have made up like our village and I think it's so huge for us then raising kids uh, if we're only raising kids within our family context like with my grandparents down the road my aunt etc then we're still passing on a lot of the same stuff. It's hard to really heal that it's being reinforced over and over and different from different humans, right? Versus like, my child is going to get a little bit of whatever Francesca's bringing to the table and whatever, mm-hmm. Jamie, but they have different cultural contexts. And because we're not all from the same family, we have different, right. does that make sense? I, I mean, I called my organization The Village Well because I think that both thriving and healing happen in community. And 100%. so I do take on one-on-one or usually one-on-family, um, right, coaching clients. 
it's honestly not my favorite work. My favorite work is bringing people together around a theme, toddlers, adoption, queer families, whatever the Mm -hmm. thing is to create spaces where I'll provide focus, right? So here's some tools, (laughs) here's some ways to heal, et cetera. But it's really the connection and the power of being together in those spaces that I think brings the best healing towards best parenting well then I think it brings new perspective Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that like I get to lean on the wisdom the legacy blessings Mm -hmm. from my like then family the friends that we have surrounded as family and learn from their legacy blessings and I'm like oh shoot like that's how some people are raised cool like I like that you know right and and also then get to see some of their legacy burdens and be like, oh, cool. That makes sense to me too. And I'm gonna try and not pass that one on, you know? Like, right. but I get to like learn from different um cultural backgrounds by mm-hmm. being in a space where it's not all people I'm related to that I've surrounded myself with. Yeah. So what I have found is that I have been privileged to be in multiple spaces where there are thoughtful parents who are willing to be vulnerable and share and laugh about our experiences, right? What I'm trying to shift with the village well is the process often stops there, right? Mm. We share, we connect, and we and leave the conversation at that. Can it then move into what are we going to do to shift our practices to <laughs> heal and how can we support and hold each other accountable for yeah. that? And I have been in fewer spaces like that organically. Totally. And so that's what I try to cultivate in the work that I do with groups of families. I think that's so rad because I think Thank you're you. right. Like, yeah, I think you're right. Like it's really it's easier to vent about it than it is mm-hmm. to do the next steps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I love to vent about it. <laughs> so yeah. It's a real cozy place to be. Uh, right. but to a glass of vent. wine and a good vent. Yeah. I mean, come on. Let's go. Uh, but then to do those next steps is harder. And I think it even just like challenging the um, nuclear family model to mm-hmm. say like, oh yeah, we do sleepovers with my um, friend Francesca and Hillary. They have two kids and they will do sleepovers with the kids, like all of us, the whole, mm-hmm. the whole gang. And when I had like shared about this at one point on social media and somebody was like, you just like do sleepovers at your friend's house, like with your kids, like the kids and the parents. And I was like, yes. <laughs> and I think that like for us, it's finding the time to go beyond the conversation into the practice part mm-hmm. and having times where like yeah, all of our kids are asleep <laughs> versus like our half conversation of like, oh yeah, I, there's this toddler needs this. And then this four-year-old is asking for this and this six-year-old, whatever. And like, you're being pulled in all these directions that having that time is what for, for me has led to the like practical application part of like how, mm-hmm. all right, now what do we do mm-hmm. is that it's the time and I have really truly it because it's so I think so hard to like at least for us find time where like everybody has a sitter and we can like sit down kid free in that sense versus like we're gonna be able to hang for a weekend and there's gonna be moments of like nap time or sleep times or whatever or the kids are playing where we have time to actually have more conversation versus we're gonna have a play date for an hour and a half 
That's so beautiful and so important. And what a privilege that you have that family, right? And can really lean into um, those like intensives, if you will, mm-hmm. um, on a sleepover weekend. It's so cool. Yeah, they they had come to when they had their first kid. They come to one of my workshops, and their little one was maybe four months old. Mm-hmm. And then I ran into them. It's Burlington, Vermont, where it's like basically a small town. I ran into them uh, maybe a month later and they were like, hi, we would like to be your real life friend. Uh, <laughs> and I was like, thank you for your vulnerability. Like, same, let's do this. And they ended up becoming best friends of ours here now. But I think it's also like hard to cultivate that where you have to be able to say like, hi, I'm going to be so awkward and say something like, I would like to be your real life friend. <laughs> <laughs> this reminds me of these conversations that I would have in my 20s. And so there's a, with other gay guys and I wanted to be their friend. Yeah. But like, how do you say that when there's also the possibility of a trust? And, so, totally. and how do you say, I want to be your friend. I'm kind of asking you out, but I'm not asking you out romantically. But I don't want you to think that I'm fully not attracted to you because you're answering. I think like, you're a lovely you human, that? but will you just be my friend? Do you do that? Oh, I love that. Yeah, that's literally what it was. And like, thank goodness they had the vulnerability or, or exercised the vulnerability to be awkward in that moment because it worked, you know? But I think yeah. that's part of the like village part of doing this yeah. work collectively is that it's vulnerable to enter into these relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And for that's- a lot of us, vulnerability wasn't safe. Right. Right. And I have heard that over and over, particularly from women of color. Mm-hmm. Right. And totally. I think particularly with the cultural influence of Brene Brown, and I love me some Brene Brown. Mm-hmm. Right. But like, how do I show up with that kind of vulnerability and not have it weaponized against me? Yeah. Is something that I hear a lot. And we do see, you know, uh, here, horror stories if you will around mothers of color I'm thinking in particular of the homeless woman who said her address was in a in a neighborhood so that her kid could go to better schools Mm -hmm. and was arrested for that I'm like one how does a homeless woman get penalized for having an address somewhere when they're homeless right but also like middle class people do this stuff all the time also like right. pause and just like, what's our goal here? Yeah. What's the goal here? Yeah. <laughs> you know, can we just, I am a human who like, I only um, follow rules if I agree with them. Um, yes. And <laughs> mostly from the point of like, what's the point of this? Yes. Right. And like, that's what comes up for me in that story is like, what is the goal? Is the goal that this child gets to have access to education and supports and services and everything that every child deserves? Great. What's the problem? I have a question for you. Is your husband a rule follower? Oh, hell yeah. Because <laughs> I'm the rule bender <laughs> and my husband is the rule follower. Yeah. And it creates this really interesting dynamic, right? Oh my God. It's so, hilarious. Yeah. Oh, and like there are so many times I'm like, he'll be really proud of himself for like pushing a boundary or like, not. and I'm like, yeah, wow, way to go, bud. Like it's like the right. smallest little thing that he like did <laughs> that for me is like, I wouldn't have even counted that one for myself. Uh, right. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. Real. 
we go to this uh, beautiful lake in Northern California and at least one weekend during the summer. And they have these cool boats that are electric boats. They only go five miles an hour cool. and kids are not allowed to drive them. Right. And I'm like, you do see that once we go around that corner, the people who rent the boat can't see us. And my husband's like, it's the rules. What if there's cameras on a lake? Yeah, <laughs> this is my husband. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I'm like, I'm going to roll those dice. No, I'm yeah. We ro- go around the corner. I'm like, take the steering wheel, baby. Here we go. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I love it. Oh, I love it. You are doing such deeply important work. And, you know, we the like tagline at seed is the future is emotionally intelligent. And the reality is like, I don't think that any one of us is capable of doing this all on our own. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even the method is called the collaborative emotion processing method. We believe that emotions are processed in community and collaboratively so much about what you're doing just hits my soul so deeply. And I'm really, really, really freaking grateful that you are in the space. Thank you. I feel like uh, the first time I was working in the center of my calling was when I was a high school teacher. Mm. And then I left that for economic reasons. (laughs) And, um, and have spent 20 years trying to find mm-hmm. uh, work that was at the center of my passion again, and then finally stumbled into it through this really intense crisis, awful journey that I talked about. And that mm-hmm. led us into this place where I learned some things and created some things that I thought I could share with other people. and. Yeah. The best part is I'm all of the work I'm doing mirrors the journey that I'm still on, right? I'm totally. still figuring stuff out. I still screw totally. things up all the time. Yeah. Right? And so I'm in this uh, very privileged place to be, again, working at the center of my passion right now. And it is wonderful to be able to connect with kindred souls in the space. I was mentioning to you before that I had stumbled <laughs> upon your website during some Google search a year ago. And then I have this amazing amazing strategy of just keeping tabs open to read later. And then there, of course, there's always some tech problem. And then I closed 20 tabs at one time. So never got back to it. And so when you invited me to be on this podcast, I, I said, wait, I know I, this is something this is, this is tickling a memory. And so it's great uh, to be back with, to be back with you, to be here with yeah. you and to be, have the opportunity to learn more about the incredible work that you're doing. Thank you. Yeah, I think it takes a village. It's the Voices of Your Village podcast, the Village Well Parenting makes yes. sense to me. And we we need all the voices in the village. So thank you. Thank you so yeah, much. You're very welcome. I also listened to your podcast and heard that you had a conference in April. So make sure I know about your conference for next year because that sounds incredible. I was just after this going to say, like, do you want to come be one of our speakers? Oh, totally. Yeah, totally. great. Okay, Speaking great. Speaking and learning. Yeah. <laughs> great. <laughs> um, where can folks connect with you, learn more about what you're doing, find you, all that jazz? The first podcast I was on, they asked me this question. I had no idea what my socials were. So I am now prepared. So prepared. Uh, Yes. So (laughs) 
the best way is to subscribe to our every other week newsletter, Morning Cup of Calm. And that's on my website, villagewellparenting.com. I am on most socials as at Village Well Parenting, with the exception of TikTok, where I'm a little more funky and it's Queer Brown Dad. Sick. Thank you. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Voices of Your Village. Check out the transcript at voicesofyourvillage.com. Did you know that we have a special community over on Instagram hanging out every day with more free content? Come join us at seed.and.so, S-E-W. Take a screenshot of you tuning in, share it on the gram, and tag seed.and.so to let me know your key takeaway. If you're digging this podcast, make sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We love collaborating with you to raise emotionally intelligent humans. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy.